Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah 13, verse 1. You ready? On your marks, not that it's erased or anything. New International Version, Nehemiah 13, verse 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of all the people, and it was found, and it was found written that no Ammonite Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. Now, I just got to stop. You know what? You can be seated. I just got to stop and say all this cursing over Kavanaugh just ain't going to work. I'm just telling you. It's not going to work. It's sad. It's uh, demented. It's, it's perverted. It's, uh, it's messed up. And, you know, I mean, that was quite an event. Listen, we, we, we're after principles in the Word of God. We, we obey God's Word, and I vote according to that. And uh, I don't know, how did I get on Kavanaugh, but I'm in it now, so praise the Lord. If he did do it, it was 38 years ago, and it was horrible. You'd hate to have what you did 38 years ago put up on a screen. I'll just say that, I'll just say that. Anyway, his, his current record stands, and, uh, and uh, anyway, the Me Too movement is, is true and just, but I just think that we ought to judge a man based on what he's done now, not that you're not accountable for your, your actions. Anyway, calling a cur- have a bunch of witches together, call down a curse is just horrific. I think they should just pray and talk to God and let God sort it out. Anyway, our God turned the curse into a blessing, which is exactly what will happen if you have a witch come after you. It would be bad for her. She'd get more warts or something. I don't know what she'd end up with. Okay, verse, verse 3. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were foreign descent. Before this, Elishib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah and he provided him with a large room formerly used to store grain and offerings, incense, and the temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, prescribed for the Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for all the priests. Verse 6. If, if I lose you at any time, I will sew it back together, and you will leave here with some fresh principles to change your family, to change our nation, to change the region, to change the state, to change Wasilla, Palmer, and the surrounding areas, and everywhere that you go. If you apply the principles I teach you, you just hang on. Amen. Well, while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah writing. For on the 32nd year of Xerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. It's about a 20-year difference between the time period. Here I learned about the evil thing that Elishab had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I would have loved to have seen that. I gave orders to purify the rooms and to put back into them the equipment of the house of God and the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that all the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the priests and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So the house of prayer, the house of prayer was dismantled, Zach. 
The house of prayer was dismantled because the tithes and the storehouse and all the places where all the provision was released for them was dismantled because of the disobedience of the high priest. And everybody that's supposed to be in the 24-7 house of prayer is back in the fields trying to make a living. Just saying. Uh, going back to their own seal. Verse 11. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All of Judah brought the tithes of grain, the new wine, the olive oil into their storehouse. They received the tithe just like we just did. I put Shondai. I don't know how to say his name. The priest, excuse me, if you know how to pronounce it, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Whenever I hit a name that I don't know in Scripture, I just say some tongues or something. Oh, I'm going to try. Shall I, sh thank you. Wherever you, God bless you and all of your family. Shalemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and a Levite named in charge of the storerooms and made, and the son of, and the son of, their assistant, because you guys are good, because they were considered trustworthy. Wow. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Verse 14, remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Verse 15, in those days I saw the people of Judah treading the wine press on the Sabbath. This is really like the second point, but I'm going to break it down and make it simple. On the Sabbath. And bringing the grain, and bringing in grain, and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all the other kinds of loads, and they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. The people of Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing that you're doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things? So that our God brought all the calamity on us on this day. Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Verse 19, when evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gate so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath. Once or twice, the merchant sellers, all kinds of goods, spent their night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend your night outside the wall? If you do this again, I'll beat the fool out of you. It doesn't quite actually say that. I don't know. Nehemiah was a, I think Nehemiah was a bad, bad to the bone guy. If you do this again, I'll arrest you. I think he would have done it himself. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. How do you know they knew he wasn't bluffing? They knew he had strength. They knew he had authority, so they didn't challenge him. Then I commanded all the Levites to purify themselves and go to the guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days I saw men. Y'all y'all okay? We're almost done. Verse 23. You okay? A little more monitor, brother, sound guy. Check. A little bit more. Just a touch. Thank you. A little more. Check. Verse 23. Everybody say verse 23. Moreover, in those days, thank you, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashad, Ammon, and Moab, 
Half of their children spoke the language of Ashad and or the language of one of the other peoples, and they did not know how to speak the language of Judah, which is Hebrew. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. Whoa. I beat some of their men. I told you, this guy's bad. And pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of the marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we now hear that you too are being, or you're doing this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? Verse 28. One of the sons of... Right, the son of, all right, you guys are doing good. The high priest was the son-in-law to Sanballat, Sanballat, if you're Tagalog or Ilocano, Sanballat, the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Verse, Jesus, help me. We only got like three verses to go. Are you all right? Okay, good. Pray for me. I'm trying to, get, trying to do it. Verse 29, remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each of his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. Let's pray. Father, move in power. Amen. All right, we do have some notes for you, and we'd encourage you to use those as we move along. I had a fist fight with word. Uh, and uh, I, I, I partially won and I partially lost. So you'll see some of the, you'll see some of it's not quite lined up. I couldn't fix that thing to save me and was looking for somebody that knew 10 times as much as I did with that program, but I didn't have time because the Lord spoke this to me. It's a message I preached before, but he brought some fresh wind on it about five minutes before I baptized our beloved, beloved sister. 10 minutes before. We are in the midst of fasting and prayer, and uh, we're 21 days. It started last Wednesday, and I'd encourage you to do that. Why? Because we're up against a spiritual battle that we've already won, actually, because of what Jesus has done, and we're exerting his authority and reaching the lost through pumpkin patch. We need lots of candy, about 1,000 pounds of candy, so you just bring that in. Fred Myers is on sale, 50% off. It closes at midnight or something, whenever they close today. Last day of the sale. Either way, please go get, how many of you get some candy? All right, good. Do that, would you? Get some candy, bring it in, and um, any kind of candy in there, right, Pastor Kirsten? Wrap, individually wrapped candy. Thank you, beloved brother, Pastor Kirsten. Individual, how do you say individually wrapped? Individually wrapped, okay. And then Hotter Than Hell is a PG-13. 20, uh, in seven days, it'll be on a, on a Sunday night. And it is PG-13. If you've got small ones, you probably want to stay at home and play tiddlywinks or watch Lassie or, or read the Bible, have a Bible study, do something. But it's going to be really intense in here. And it's not for children, all right? It's not for kids. So if you come with your kid, we don't want, you know, I mean, it's PG-13. Are you going to stop me if I'm bringing my five-year-old? No, but let the Lord rebuke you. All right. So we're fasting and praying 
We're fasting and praying and believing for young leaders to come forth. I'm believing that God would raise up a generation. Listen, I'm so grateful for the generation that's gone before us. I'm so grateful for those who are more senior and serve for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad. But if we don't see a whole other generation rise up and take the mantle in every area of society and all the, all the mountains of influence and culture and the arts and education, come on, if we don't see that happen, we won't even be having church. It's a call to reformers. Philippians 2.15 That you may be blameless, harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine like stars in the world holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. God is raising up a people who walk in holiness and purity. And there's, there's, there's a, a change that's taking place. A paradigm shift, I'll call it. There's some that think that actually walking in holiness before God is some kind of a drudgery, some kind of a painful thing that he called us to do. First of all, without him, without his power, pretty impossible to do. Without his blood, it is impossible to do because his blood that makes you holy. And I'm going to tell you that the life in God separated unto him, living for him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is more exhilarating than, than any you know, any, any tribe you've been on at Six Flags or whatever, it's, it's, it's more exhilarating than anything you maybe have ever been through. God has an amazing plan for your life, but you're separated from the plan if you're not born again. You must be, you must be born again, John 3. You'll hear this say, you say, you said that last night. You said that yesterday. You said that, yeah, I'm going to say it and say it and say it and say it because it's true. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is not preached enough in our valley. Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. God is trying to raise up a people who are burning, shining lamps. He's trying to raise up people who will be reformers. So this text here, Nehemiah 13, I tried to emphasize it, but I'll, I'll, I'll draw out and make it very clear. There, there's four commands from Nehemiah 13, in fact, the whole book of Nehemiah, as, as he talks about the Reformation, Nehemiah was a reformer, and there's four commands that he insisted on that actually apply to the New Testament, and if you'll apply them to your life, you'll walk in freedom, you'll walk in the abundant life, you'll have, you'll have a blessed life. Come on, God doesn't save you to let you drown. You know, you only have authority to release and, or impart to others what's been imparted in your own life. You do not have authority to bind that which binds you. Bind, what do you mean? If you're shackled to something, you're bound to some sort of perversion or addiction, you have no authority of breaking that off of somebody else. And the church is the place where the power of God comes and God is examining, taking a look at us. It's like we're passing underneath the, the shepherd's rod. The shepherd rod would be held out as the sheep would go under and the shepherd would inspect and look up the nose for mites and, and check to make sure the sheep was healthy. Judgment comes to the house of the Lord first. And I'm telling you, he wants to look at your life tonight. He wants to put his finger on things inside of me, inside things inside of you, to, to help you so that you have a blessed life and that we can change our dying, damned culture. Damned as I mean damned, really, I don't mean like, you know, a curse word, I mean like damned headed to hell. That's where our culture's headed. And Nehemiah was a reformer. He gives four commands. 
And these four commands help us. A people who have not been transformed, please hear me. A people who have not been transformed cannot transform the world in which they live. Transformation happens in your heart first. It happens in your family first. It happens in your marriage. It happens in your kids. And if it doesn't happen there, then how are you going to bring transformation? Come on, God is looking for reformers. And it's not, it's not just because you can yell loud or, or dance and twist or even sing and, and do some sort of worship act. It's day in, day out, living in character and integrity. Yes, I think it's being filled with the Spirit, and it's keeping your word when it's the last thing you want to do, and you could get out of it and nobody would know. But you keep your word because you're a man of God, a woman of God, because you said yes. Character and integrity. People who have not been transformed by the power of God by the power of his word, cannot transform a culture. The story behind Nehemiah, it goes with this text. Nehemiah prophesied, we're right in the notes to give you some history here, a little history lesson, his story, history, his God story. And you can study this outside of, uh, outside of the pages of Holy Writ and understand that this is a real man. This Nehemiah is not some fictitious thing, neither is, neither is anybody else in Scripture. And if you say in your own ignorance that God, the God's word contradicts itself, it's only because you're ignorant. And if you actually study to show yourself approved, you know, many people don't want to study to show themselves approved because they want to get away with their sloppy agape and their sin and want to do whatever they want. So we don't really, because it really is God's word. If it really is God's word, then uh, 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 I'm going to have to obey it. Amen. Right, exactly, right, right. Everybody say right. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you came to church. Go ahead, tell them. Jeremiah prophesied that Israel would go into captivity, right in your notes. So look at the context of Nehemiah. Go into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And that 70 years started at 606 B.C. It ended in 536 B.C. This is history. They'd return to Jerusalem. They would march five months. It was a five-month journey from Jerusalem, about 700 miles in Babylon, they'd go five months to Babylon. They stay there for 70 years, and then they would have a five-month journey back, about 700 miles. Isaiah prophesied that they would return and build Jerusalem and the temple when the Persian king Cyrus, King Cyrus, would decree it. Now, the amazing thing is this Isaiah prophecy, Isaiah 44 and 28, and then on into Isaiah 45, Cyrus isn't even born yet. This is 150 years prior to the dude ever being born. A prophetic word. God spoke to him. Cyrus, Isaiah 44, 28. He, Cyrus, my shepherd, he shall perform my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to my temple your foundation shall be laid. So from God's point of view, the temple in the past the future, the house of prayer, the house of transformation, the house of reformation needed to be built. And I will tell you that I'm so excited. I, I, I got stirred and, and being stirred right now that, that Zach and his beautiful wife is here. You beautiful couple, you all perfect. Your hair and everything. Your hair, Zach. It's a wonderful thing that you guys are here because God is trying to rebuild the tabernacle of David. God is trying to raise up day and night, night and day prayer. Why? Because he's worthy. And because day and night, night and day prayer makes a difference. Now the thing about this text, as we saw, is that they, they didn't do what Nehemiah asked him to do. And as a result, the, the prayer and, the, and the, the ministry in the temple failed. Well, let's, let's look at this. 
Isaiah 56, 7, for my house should be called a house of prayer. In Matthew 21, 12, and 13, Jesus went into the temple. Verse 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And it's more than, Lord, bless this food to my use and myself to your service. Amen. Let's eat. It's more than prayer like that. It's a prayer that presses in an abiding, uh, 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 an abiding authoritative prayer and petition, supplication and intercession, all kinds of prayers. Many people don't have a prayer life. Many people don't know what it is to lay hold of God in prayer and to press through until your baby gets healed, to press through until your uncle has a turnaround, to press through until your wife starts breathing again, to press through. I will tell you that many times there's a desperation that hits us, and if our hearts are positioned right, God will use that desperation to make us into a prayer warrior. I can tell you all kinds of stories that moved me and my wife into places of prayer. And yet even still, I don't know why, our flesh, the world, the influence of all the distractions that we have push us away from the priority of prayer. Prayer has got to be a priority. It really does. The corner of body at the center of God's plan of transformation is prayer. So after 70 years of captivity, all with me, we're right here in, in, uh, in, in your notes. After 70 years of captivity, God sent Israel back to Jerusalem, fulfilling the word of fulfilling the word of Jeremiah and fulfilling the word of Isaiah. Zerubbabel and Nehemiah's reforms were built around corporate worship center, the temple. The reforms of, of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah centered around the house of God. I'm going to tell you how reformation will take place in America. It'll come around the house of God. And I'm not talking about a limp-wristed, lukewarm, apathetic message that doesn't make anybody convicted and you have a 30-minute service and go home, it was like a dry-cleaning thing and you're still full of stains. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about receiving the, the Word of God engrafted that touches you, changes you, convicts you, and you begin to be moved by the holy presence of God through the Word of God and it brings transformation in your life. It brings change in your marriage, change in your kids. After Nehemiah finished rebuilding the wall in 445 BC, that's 52 days he rebuilt the wall. Pastor Karen and I were there. I saw, the, it's called the broad wall. I stood there in Jerusalem and I looked at the broad wall. And I sat there and my wife and I cried. Do you remember that? I remember standing there going, that's the wall of Nehemiah. Amen. She's like, it's the wall of Nehemiah. And we just sat there, oh my gosh, you're awesome. All right, I thought it was pretty awesome, praise God. 52 days. Ezra led the nation to make a covenant with God to obey all of his commands. You'll see this in Nehemiah 10 and verse 29. No time to go there. Also through chapters 8 through 12. And the covenant was signed by the leaders. So, so he comes, he rebuilds the wall, and he reestablishes the temple and worship, and he puts everything back in order. He was really like a, an apostolic father. You can think of him that way. He was a reformer. And he comes and he puts in all this order. And they have this national day of, of signing and agreeing that, yes, they're going to fulfill this covenant, they're going to obey all of this, Nehemiah 9, 38 through Nehemiah 13, 3. And they would give particular attention to these things. Why did Nehemiah define and emphasize these four areas? And what four areas are you? We're going to get into it in a second. These four areas of concentration 
Listen, I, I'm just trying to help you. I'm going to offend you tonight. Okay, I'm going to try to put some sugar up on that thing. I'm going to try to drizzle it with honey or something. I'm, I'm going to try to make it sweep. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get offended. Why is that? Because many of you don't keep even half of these things, and you're like, well, that's not a New Testament believer. I love Jesus, so I just do whatever I want to do. No, you can't. Not if you want the life and life abundant. Not if we're going to transform our nation. Not if we're going to transform the state of Alaska. There are people right now doing drugs and, and defiling themselves, destroying their lives because their families have been destroyed, because fathers have been robbed and they're in jail. They're stuck on methamphetamines tonight, and they need to be liberated. They need to be freed, and it will not happen by a lukewarm church. It will happen by an on-fire prayer movement that releases His glory in the earth. He said, I don't know if I like this message. That's okay. Ushers, just lock the doors. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. I'm going to hold you for about another 15 minutes. Got to insist on these four commands when, when bringing a reformation. Four commands. All right. Uh, the signing of the covenant ended with a, nas a national celebration. This is Nehemiah 12. So what happens now is Nehemiah, so this is national celebration in Nehemiah 12. Yeah, look what the Lord had done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look what the Lord had. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Oh, I'm going to praise it. I've never been the. Go on and praise him. Look what the Lord had done. So they have the, I mean, it's crazy. It's this crazy like revival atmosphere that takes place. Ten years, so Nehemiah goes back to his job. Everybody say he goes back to his job. He goes back to his job for ten years. He comes back after ten years, and that's where the text that we read. Nehemiah returns, and he's hopping mad. And like I said, I don't think you'd want to. See, I don't think you would want to see a Nehemiah mad. I just don't. He returns and he confronts the people over these four things that they said they would keep. And they're right in the word and they don't. Number one, everybody say number one. They promised to not marry unbelievers. To uphold godly standards in family life. You'll see this in Nehemiah 10 and verse 30. He confronted the failure to uphold God's order in marriage and godly family values. You have got to uphold that standard in your life. I can marry anyone I want to. Sure you can. And I can, I can interview people right now for the rest of the service the pain that they experience by yoking themselves with somebody who did not love Jesus the way that they do. Who did not believe in God, but the, oh, but they look good. You know what I'm saying? They just, oh, yeah. And he, he was fine. He had some money. And, and he looked good. He loves me. If he loves you, he won't touch you. Let me just say that. Praise break. Just lift your hands and praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They were yoking with unbelievers. What do you mean yoking? They were partnering with unbelievers. And what happened, I will tell you that there's no more painful life for somebody who loves God to then get together with somebody who does not. And you can be unequally yoked as two believers. I mean, well, I've counseled for years, 20-something years. My wife and I have cried with with women, with, with, with men that, that, that have got together with people that did not like, they just, I thought I could change him. I thought I could change. No. Listen, the dude that you're with right now, the man that you're about to marry, or the, you, you, come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. That those first days, that's the, that he's on his best behavior right then. 
Because he's on the hunt. Yeah, he's stalking. Hopefully he's not really stalking, but I mean, he's, 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 he's sweet. And that's the gentleman you got. And you know, if he loves God, then he can be transformed from glory to glory to glory. But if he doesn't, he's going to get ugly, potentially. I'm sure there's cases where that's not the case. But he confronted them, verse 23, Nehemiah 13. I saw Jews who had married women of Eshon, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children, oh, watch this now. Half of their children spoke the language of Eshon and could not speak the language of Judah. The language of Judah is what? Hebrew. If you could not speak Hebrew, then you can't read Hebrew. And if you can't read Hebrew, you do not know God's word. So you had people in families that were unequally yoked. And as a result, the kids didn't know the word of God. The word of God ought to be read in your home. Not in some religious tightwad way. You understand? Some people got a Bible as could choke a moose. They don't know, they don't know any scripture. They just hold that thing. It's the family Bible. Just open it up and kind of, but get the thing in your heart and get it into your kid's heart. You, you got to teach your children the word of God. Amen. Don't just count on us to do it. We will do it, but, but you've got to do it at home. And if your kids don't see you reading the word, that means they know that you don't think it's important. I told you you're going to fry a little bit. Hallelujah. Come on, praise break one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Preach on, preacher. Children couldn't speak Hebrew, so they couldn't read Scripture, and as a result, they couldn't participate in corporate worship. The Catholic Church took the Word of God out of the language of the people and put it into the educated language that not too many people were back then and put it into Latin, the Latin Vulgate. And many of you, many of you, maybe you grew up in the Catholic Church, 50s, 60s, even in the 70s, there was Latin masses. I've been to a Latin mass. My, my father, on his whole side, they're Irish Catholics. And I remember sitting in a Latin mass. That's when my brother and I like would pinch each other and flick each other's ear and, and do everything and just like couldn't wait till whatever he was saying was over. And if you, if you that's, this is a saying, it's just a picture of how being unequally yoked won't release the transforming power of God by his word into your family. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. The second thing, they say there's four principles. The second thing is they covenant, they made an agreement to keep the Sabbath or to honor sacred time with God. Now, many people I see in Alaska, they see the Sabbath as a day to go ride their four-wheeler, a day to go be on their snow machine. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with being on your machine or riding a four-wheeler, but if you don't have a time where you're being refreshed in God, then that's not really the Sabbath. I don't think you should stay home and don't touch the laundry. And don't, I, I think it can be like a religious nut job about that. But you've got to re be rejuvenated. And, and do you know they've proven that the, the heart rate of human beings slows down on, on Sunday. Did you know that? That it actually begins to slow down. Now, if you work yourself seven days a week, that's not good for you. In fact, it's been proven that those, those that don't have one day off in seven are sicker and, and less healthy than those that do. There is a principle of, of Sabbath rest, honor, honor sacred time with God. And I, I see that as really attending going to church. I really do. You need to have a lifestyle of going to church. Well, can I go hunting? Well, of course you can. And I hope you do. Shoot the biggest moose you can find. Praise God. But go to church. And develop relationships. 
You know, I'm so grateful for the relationships that I have in the church. I, I, well, you say you're a pastor, Dad. You're a pastor. Yeah, I'm a pastor, but I, I was just going to church before I became a pastor. You couldn't get me out. I was the biggest party in town. Where else would I want to go? Man, worship was awesome. I really enjoyed worship. Got to baptize somebody. Hallelujah. Went swimming in church tonight. My, my, my. Look at Nehemiah 13, 15. I saw the people of Judah treading the wine press on the Sabbath day. Verse 16, men of Tyre brought fish and all kinds of... It reminds me of Jesus flipping over the money-changing tables. I commanded the gates to be shut. Verse 19, verse 20. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and they believed me. Yeah. Why do you spend your night outside the wall? They were, they were doing things they shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Some of you need to really add this, that on the Sabbath, you just don't really think of it like that. It's a, listen, it's a biblical principle. Jesus talked about it, but he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And really, you should worship him every day, not just on one day, but you should have one day in seven. And I don't even think it needs to be on Sunday, although we can prove that it was on Sunday that they worshiped and, and put a fork in all the Saturday night, you know, Adventist ideas. Hello, because he rose again on Sunday. And, you know, we should probably go into that. But you need to have Sabbath rest. All right, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Say it. Don't be on. That's right. Number two, honor this. Have sacred time with God, one in seven. Number three, they committed to giving financial support and worship. Nehemiah confronted the lack financially, supporting corporate worship. Nehemiah 13, 10 through 14. And the sad thing is this. You see, he understood, the, Nehemiah, I believe, understood the significance of day and night, night and day worship. And when people didn't support, the, didn't support the ministry, then the Levites had to go and work for themselves. Listen, the ministry is work. I, I, heard, one, I heard one preacher say, preaching one message is like working an eight-hour day on a construction job. I don't think so. I, I, I did that. I don't, I don't think that's true. Three, three messages might be that. I, I don't know. I think maybe, maybe pastors have said that so we could just feel like people work hard. It's a different kind of work. It's a spiritual work. And it is physical too. But come on, you need, you need to work hard. You need to have a job. Yes, there are people. Thank God for people like the Haggerty's. Zach and Mandy, thank God for people who have said, and I, I love your faith. Can I just brag on you for a second? You just signed off and went, went full on into ministry on your own. You got your own 501c3 now, right? Yeah, praise God. You better get a card out there, son. I'm pushing and encouraging you a whole bunch. This is a good, good ministry to give to. Why? Because they're making a difference. I mean, they go, to, they go to refugee camps with a guitar and a stick of gum, and they sing and they worship until God's power comes. Some lady gets healed of cancer. I might be combining ideas. But the point is that God's power comes. It's amazing, and they people hear Jesus in a Muslim culture. Come on. Now God called me to pastor. He didn't call me to do that. Maybe if I grow hair out or something. I, I don't know. But what would happen if people didn't give into your ministry? What would happen if people didn't tithe? What would happen? Then you, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. We're making an impact and changing lives. Tithing and giving is crucial for the kingdom to expand. It's crucial for reformation in a culture. He understood that. Establishing day and night prayer. 
Number four, they committed to not have unholy alliances or significant partnerships with unbelievers. Now, that's, that's different than marrying an unbeliever. It's having a partnership with an unbeliever. You say, well, I work for a total heathen. Good, well, I hope you can make a change up in that heathen place. Well, if all we do is hang out with each other because we're Christians and we come in the name of Jesus and we just stay with each other, then we're going to win anybody. God places you to be salt and light in the midst of, of darkness. And you're, yeah, your employer might look. I, I mean, I would have a problem working for a drug addict, you know, a drug dealer. I'm not going to get a job with a drug dealer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so I, I personally, personally, I would have a problem working for, with a bar. I'm not going to serve people alcohol and get them all hammered and drunk. Okay, if you can square that with God somehow, then, then I guess you could be a bartender. But the point is, is that you don't have partnerships with significant partnerships with, with people that aren't believers that'll yoke you, it'll, it'll bring you down. It'll be the Jonah on your boat that causes you to sink, you understand? Last time I touched on this, I had people calling me and said, that, you know, the corporation I work for, they're not, I'm quitting. Because they don't love God. Maybe God placed you in the corporation to bring conversion to the corporation. You have to be sensitive of what God... Just know that what He called you to do and do it. Amen? This is Nehemiah 13, 4 through 8. Wow. Nehemiah 4. This is this picture of Elishab... The priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of God was aligned with Tobiah. Does anybody know who that guy is? If you look at Nehemiah 4, go quickly go there. I'm almost done. Worship team, come on. Brother Toby, black keys only. Some of you know Bishop Hooks while you're turning there. Nehemiah 4. Bishop Robert Hooks, he's going to be with us at the prophetic conference. And uh, he said, he said, you crazy. I, I, I'm going to give you a Hammond B3. Does anybody know what that is? Yep. Okay, Hammond B3 is the quintessential all-time gospel organ of all time. And he sent us a mint condition, completely redone Hammond B3 with a Leslie. Some of you know what that is, some of you don't. I mean, beautiful. It was his personal one. He packed it up, crated it up. It'll be here like this week. And we're going to put it up. You're going to play that thing, right? Whee! <laughs> Nehemiah 4, verse 7. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Ashadites heard the walls of Jerusalem being restored, verse 8, all of them conspired to attack basically Jerusalem. So here's one of the guys that attacked attacked Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the walls. And what happened was the high priest made a deal with him and put him in the place where the, he put him in the safe. He said, oh, you could just come and live here where the tithes are stored. You know why? Because it was like a political thing. It was, it was unholy and it was like bribery and it was corrupt. And I'm going to tell you that God will, God will sniff out by the Holy Spirit, tear down and destroy everything corrupt in the church it will be exposed it will be shouted on the rooftops i'm telling you god is exposing evil in the community god's exposing evil in america god's exposing evil all around the world he's doing it and why because it's time for a reformation it's time come on i'm believing for the fullness of the gentiles does anybody know what that means at the end at the very end of time there's going to come a great ingathering of gentiles that's us if you're not a jew 
then you're a Gentile. If you're a Jew and you're born again, then you're a completed Jew or, or some say a Messianic Jew. And then you wouldn't be a Gentile. You're a Jew that's received Messiah. But most of us are Gentiles. Not all of us. I was hoping I was Jewish. I did the DNA thing. And I found out I'm one one thousandth American Indian. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh. It's okay. Oh, I thought my wife was going to come and slap me or something. Jesus, I got scared for a second. Maybe she wants prayer. Hallelujah. I'm not Jewish. I was hoping I would be. Jews and Gentiles, there's coming a great in-gathering. We're a part of that. First fruits, I believe. Can you say amen? Four things. Did you get it? I'm just about done. Four things. What's number one? Right. Number one is what? Don't marry unbelievers. Say it. Don't marry unbelievers. Very painful life. Don't do it. Number two? Commit to giving. Commit to giving. Tithe. Commit financial support. Support ministries like that one. Support missionaries. There's a missionary gathering for the Assemblies of God. They're taking uh, special offerings and pledges tonight in Anchorage. Thank God for that. Anytime you stop giving to missions, you cast your vote that the gospel wouldn't go to the four corners of the world. Commit to giving. What's number uh, three? Four. Three. Three is giving. Number four. Don't have unholy alliances. All right, God's speaking to us very simply. One. God longs for a people to have the abundant life that he's, that he's provided for us, but you're going to have to do your part. God will not run you roughshod and ram it down your throat. You have to do your part. You do your part. God does his part, right? Number two, commit to living a holy life. It really is a great joy to live a holy life. It's a joy. I mean, I'm going to lie down tonight and pass out, and I will have no anxiety at all, unless, of course, it ends up being a prayer time. Because there's times where you go to lie down, and it's like, nope, it's time to intercede. And you know, you pray through, and then you, then you have peace and can chill. I'm so grateful. You know, money can't buy that. My conscience is clean. How about yours? Unless I'm getting, did I do anything wrong? All right, good. Praise God. So the one one thousandth American Indian is pretty good. It's okay? All right. I'm also 1% African-American. Sup! Sup! Yeah! My wife's like, I knew it! Commit to living a holy life. Three! Number three, letter three, be a person of prayer. God's talking to us. Number one, God longs for his people to live the abundant life. Number two, Commit to living a holy life because without a holy life, you're not having an abundant life. You have a jacked up life. Number three, be a person of? Number four, be a Nehemiah. Everybody say, I'm, I'm a Nehemiah. Or Nehemiah-et if you're, if you're a girl. Did you get something? Lift your hands all across this place. Examine your heart. How you doing with these four? Like, oh, snap, I was just, a marri just getting ready to marry Jack the Ripper. Well, maybe you ought to change your plans. 
Jack the Ripper would be a bad husband. Susan the Ripper, bad, bad choice. Listen, I, I'm just saying. Don't worry, don't, don't marry a non-worshipper. Don't do it. Don't do it. Come on, live a, live a holy life. Be a person of prayer. Come on, how are you doing with your Sabbath rest? Is that, is that real or you kind of blow that off on a regular basis and know that the Lord just in New Testament? You have to get times of refreshing. Number three, how are you tithing? Are you giving? Will, to have the ushers come one more time just to make sure. Come on, smile at me. I'm preaching better than you guys are amening tonight. Number four, don't have any unholy alliances. Take a look at the alliances in your life. Some of you are going through pain because you're connected with somebody you should not be connected with. Yeah, you need to just back off. Listen, show me your friends. I will show you your future. And if you hang out with mocking scoffers who don't give a flip, they don't tithe, they don't love God, they don't want to live holy, they just want to live however they want. It's my life and I can do what I want to. Yeah, you want to get away from that. You want people of character, people of integrity, people right. You want to learn to live righteously. And all of us are learning to go to the next level. You know, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you've just started coming here, and you never heard preaching like this. All right. Let's allow the Word to work on the inside of you. Ask Him to change you. Come on. How many of you could be, go to the next level in God? I know I can. I'm the only one. Am I the only honest person in here? Come on, ask God to help you. Lord, help us. Help us to be reformers and to bring the reformation Lord, in our families, with our children. Come on, pray for your families tonight. Lord, we pray that you would touch and bless our marriages. We pray, oh God, that you would bless our children. That they would never be unequally yoked with unbelievers, but will choose godly relationships and will encourage them to be steadfast in the Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us as parents, come upon us as sons and daughters, leading us and guiding us and helping us, preparing us for that which lies ahead, which you know, you know the end and you know the beginning, you know it all. You know what, you know our frame, you know our rising up, you know our setting down. We want to be people that change our culture. We want to go into the highways and byways and compel people to come in. Lord, show us alliances, Lord, that are out of accord with your will and your plan. Help us, Lord. Help us, God, to live a holy life, to be a people of prayer. And I pray that you'd raise up a Nehemiah generation. Raise up more like the Haggerty's God. Raise up more people to be in the house of prayer. Your church, your temple, your house is a house of prayer. I pray, oh God, Lord, for an expansion of our times of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the 6 a.m., the 7 a.m. I look forward to the day where we have so many committed people to pray that we go 24 hours, seven days a week. Bring it to pass for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God tonight, don't you leave this place in that condition. You repent. Give your life to God tonight. You bring the house lights up for me just a bit. You give your life to God tonight. There is a place called hell. It was never created for you. Heaven is what, what God made for you. But you only enter into heaven by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior through repentance. Through repentance. And if you've never repented and given your heart to Jesus, I want you to do it tonight. Don't you leave this place in that condition. Come to God tonight and repent of your sin. What sin? You know, lying. I haven't lied in a long time. Well, the other lies that you, that you did when you were younger, they still count. Stealing. 
I only stole when I was a youth. Well, it's still on your record. Minister Gill talked about a record. There's, there's a record of sin, too. And you know how it gets wiped out? By receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, no matter what you did, you could, you could surrender your body to the flames. It will not bring you into right relationship with God. So if you've lied, that would make you a liar. You've stolen, that would make you a thief. You ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Yes, you have. Don't do it again while I'm, while I'm bringing conviction by the Holy Spirit to you. You ever lusted after a man or a woman? Yes, you have. Jesus said if you've done that, you've already committed adultery. So we have a serious problem. I mean, I could just keep going. All of us have broken the Ten Commandments. It's very simple. God's way of being and doing right is by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And He gives you what's called imputed righteousness. He takes your sin and He throws it as far as the east is from the west. And he puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. And he comes to make his residence, his home on the inside of you. Being born again. If you're not born twice, you will die twice. Death in this world when your heart stops. And then death, the, the lake of fire that you will be with the, where, the, where there's worms and, and torment. And there's no God there. God doesn't want you to go to that place. No, he wants you to go to heaven. But you must be born again. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm pressing in a little bit tonight. If that's you, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I implore you. I plead with you on Christ's behalf. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It matters if you're born again. Now, I mean it matters what church you go to, too. I mean, you could go to a cult, and that wouldn't be good. But you got to be born again. You must be saved. If you're not saved, do it tonight. Secondly, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you know flat out you ain't right with God tonight because you got compromised, you have sin in your life, and you want to you get right. You want to come home, give your heart to Jesus, and recommitment. I call it selling the farm. If that's you, in a moment I want to ask you to lift your hand. Number three, if you just want to be assured of your salvation. The devil lies to you, say, you ain't saved, you ain't saved. And you just want to be sure. You fit in any of those categories. One, giving your heart to Jesus for the first time. Never done it before, but you want to do it tonight. Two, you want to recommit to the Lord. You want to recommit because you have compromised and you know that you are not right with God, but you want to get right. You gave your heart to Him before, but you're going to do it. You're going to sell the farm. You're going to come home tonight. Or number three, you just want to be sure. All across this place, those online, on the count of three, if that's you, you fit in any of those categories. One, give your heart to Jesus first time. Two, sell the farm, come home. Three, be sure. On the count of three, lift your hands up. One, two, three. Do it right now. God bless you. God bless you. My goodness. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Raise your hand high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. On this side. Come on, quit messing around. Don't play church. God bless you. 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 All the way in the back, I see your hand. God bless you, sweetheart. I see that hand. Anybody else lift your hand high? All right, if you're serious with God, quickly get out of your seat and meet me right here. Come on. Come on, come right now. Would you stand with us? Come on, come right now. Break off every assignment that will try to keep you 
to turn in a moment to the person on the right and the left and ask them, are you right with God? If they're like, uh, 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 they just say, um, I'll go with you. And then you all come down. All right, are you ready? And if they're all, if they're right with God, they'll be like, yeah, I'm right with God. Are you right with God? Yeah, I'm right with God. And it'll be okay. You ready? You ready? You ready to get awkward? Person on the right, person on the left. Come on, do it. You ready? One, two, do it. Ask the person. Okay, come down. Come on. 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 Come on down. Come on. Come on. You can do it. Ah, you can do it. Come on. sending your son Jesus. Come on, right out loud. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd feel and touch and bless each and every one of these. Break every bondage, break every chain, release your power upon this generation, Lord, to be reformers, to be Nehemiahs. We thank you and praise you. I've got a team here. They're just going to come and pray for you. Some of you might be the first time. We're going to take some information from you and just help you grow in the things of God. Is that all right? Give us a few moments. Come on, let's sing that again. Oh, come to you. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was following the precious blood oh, of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was following the precious blood. Got something from God. I preach strong to you, challenging you. Why? Because God's word is true. Let every man be a liar. And the word of God will offend. And it's not my intention. I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but I would like to hurt that which is going to destroy you. Because that's just how we roll. And Jesus, he spoke words that offended. And I'm just glad we're a part of a church that can bring conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit and preach the word of God unadulterated and put a little bit of sugar on it. It's okay to have fun. Amen. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. I hope you got something from God. We're going to close tonight. These are being ministered to. Uh, Minister Ava, we've got prophetic teams. Pastor Vince, good. We've got some teams that will pray and prophesy over you if you'd like that. They're coming up front now. Let me close and just bless you. Don't miss Wednesday night. Don't miss what? Wednesday night. Youth ministry is going to be amazing. 
Thursday night, the table. Is that going to be here? Check Instagram, Facebook, all you young adults. Amen. Friday night, our outreach starts with Hotter Than Hell. Bring your unsaved loved ones to have an experience in church. It'll be mind-blowing. All right, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, seven days from now, do not bring your kids. It's kind of intense, all right? And if you'll keep that in prayer, also bring your candy. My gosh, so many things going on. Wonderful, wonderful. Please be praying for our building project, all right? Let me bless you. Father, thank you for what you've done. Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us, oh God. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night.